Welcome to this episode of the FC Podcast. My name is Stuart Taylor, and this is part three of my interview with George Cowie. In this episode, George shares his journey and progression into football coaching and what it takes, in his opinion, to be a good football player and a good person. So here it is, my interview, part three, with George Cowie. How did you become, or how did you move to Australia, and how did you get involved in coaching? Well, after Hearts, I moved to Dunfermline. They bought me, they'd been promoted to the Premier League, and I signed for Dunfermline. Dunfermline didn't work out. Dunfermline was a great club, a great manager, Jim Leishman, uh, very big personality in Scottish football, and, and I'm still close friends with him to this day. I see him when I go back to Scotland, I always catch up with him, and I've got a hu- huge respect for him. But um, my, I, I played 16 games in the and the, the first team and, and I actually scored them a debut with a diving header at Dunfermline I wasn't a, a known goal scorer but I scored them a debut for Dunfermline but 16 games later I was I was having knee problems and I ended up having to uh, finish the game with injury at the age of 28 the Dunfermline were really kind to me the manager in particular but they got full support of the club they, they gave me a testimonial game and a testimonial dinner which the proceeds of those things goes to the player it was the end of my career there was no more football after that and um, I was very fortunate Hearts played Dunfermline in the testimonial game Trevor Brookin and Raymond Stewart came up from West Ham to you know, the bolster the publicity in the crowd I mean, Trevor's a, a huge name he came out of retirement for me and came up with an amazing thing I mean Trevor went on to become the, one of the stands at the new stadiums called after Trevor and he was the head of football development with the English FA you couldn't get a, a bigger name but, but you, you couldn't get a nicer person he came out of retirement to, to to guest in that game and in my dinner I was very fortunate to have Alec Ferguson as the main uh, guest speaker so I've been really blessed in my life and the chance to meet some really big not just meet them I've became friends with some really uh, famous and, and very experienced football people and it's been, it's been a real pleasure to, to know a lot of these people and know them as, as real people and know how good they are I mean Alec Ferguson um, the, the, the well, we all know about his success, but I, what I think a lot of people don't know he comes across as a as a hard figure, and he is a hard figure. And if you do wrong, so you you're out the door in two seconds. But what it, uh, what doesn't get publicised about Alec Ferguson in office, the amount of good he does in life, and the amount he's the first to help with charities and like testimonial dinners like he did with myself, and you know he's the first to help anybody in football. He does a lot of stuff. He'll help charities. He does a lot of good that doesn't seem to get reported so much, but uh, everyone sees uh, maybe the hard side of Alec. But uh, uh, Britain's most successful manager in history, and he's got a really uh, kind side to him. There's a lot of good behind the scenes. So, what do you remember what he said at your, when he spoke at your testimonial dinner, or is it? I remember one line. I've I've actually got it video. It's not very clear. My brother-in-law videoed it for me. And technology wasn't so good then. I'm getting older nowadays. But but um, I remember one. Uh, I mean, these testimonial dinners are about you know, a nice night with all football. There's about 580 people in the hall, and we'd, we'd, we'd four great guest speakers. Uh, George McNeil for Australians, maybe anyone down in the the Melbourne, the Stoll area might remember the name George McNeil. George McNeil, the Stoll, maybe, maybe in Queensland, is not so well known up here, but the Stoll Gift is a, a professional sprint race in, down in Victoria, ran at Easter, and it's a big, uh, they, they gamble on it. It's a handicap the sprint race. And it's top class athletes that go and do I see it on telly now at Easter. I watch it because I've got that interest in it because uh, George McNeil won the Stall Gift. He spent 10 years of his life trying to win the Stall Gift and he, and he won it in the 1981 centenary year. Uh, George won the, the main 100 metre sprint 
at, at Stoll and uh, and maybe he was our sprint trainer at Heart Midlothian and and definitely one of Scotland's best ever um, after dinner speakers. He's a very, very clever and, and funny man. And uh, George was one of the speakers that night. But anyway, the question about Alec Ferguson, the one, the one question, the one I remember is that I had the, the, the guys at the dinner that night. There was the, the whole Hearts team was there, and the whole Dunfermline team was there. And there was a lot of older players of Alec Ferguson's generation. Willie Johnston, a teammate of mine, who played with Alec Ferguson at Rangers, and. The one comment I remember was Alec was late in the night with everyone had a few drinks and there was a bit of uh, uh, cheeky remarks from the, the, the football tables towards uh, Fergie and they, he turned to John Robertson who was, John had been sold to Newcastle uh, for a record fee for Hearts for £750,000 at a time, a lot of money at that time and John John became the Hearts, uh, well, Hearts bought him back for Newcastle about a year later and um, he became Hearts' greatest ever goal scorer. I think he, I can't remember how many goals. I think two hundred eighty odd goals. I think he scored for Hearts. But John was a, a huge player for Hearts. And anyway, he was there. And it was it was John Robertson that he picked on. He says, "Robo," he says, um, "This is Alec Ferguson." He says, "Hey, Robo, you lads, you're you young players. You think you know everything." He says, uh, "He says, but us old guys, we know a thing or two. He says, "A lot of good older players in this hall tonight." He says, "And you young lads, and yeah, I hear you yeah, chirping at me just now." He says, "But he says you think you know everything." He says, "But he says." I'll tell you what, he says, we can still show you a thing or two. He says, I'll tell you what, Robo, he says, you pick your best 11 and I'll pick my best 11 from who's in here tonight and we'll play in the car park at midnight. <laughs> so how is that? I know it's only a bit of a joke, but it's true, that's what he said, he's just off the cuff. So I, sorry, I've always remembered it was part of the serious side of football. Fergie was going to pick his team at the dinner and... Uh, and Rob was to pick his team and got a game at midnight in the car park. So Would love to have seen that game. <laughs> obviously, obviously that game uh, didn't happen and uh, I don't think the clubs and the insurance people would have been too happy with that either. But <laughs> it wasn't to happen. You retired from football as a player. How did you end up moving to Australia and taking up coaching? Uh, my wife Mandy was born in uh, Newcastle. Um, and she went back to Scotland as a, an eight-year-old uh, uh, the family moved back to Scotland when she was eight year old and she grew up in Dunfermline. So when I went to Dunfermline, I met my wife Mandy and um, I, when I, I, I actually made a short comeback after being out with injury, but it was it was unsuccessful. I went to Belgium and played in the Belgium second division for a wee while and I came back to Scotland and became a manager in the Scottish Highland League. But um, at that time before I went to Belgium, I, I got the chance to come out to Australia. Marconi and Adelaide had had uh, showed interest and they realised they were taking a bit of a risk because I was a player that was finished in the game. I'd been at the game for two years, but I was still only 30 and I thought I, I was I thought I could play again, but it was a bad decision. I was never never got my fitness back again and, and I should have just gone straight into the coaching. But um, eventually I, I realised very quickly after about six months that no, I, I was never, fitness was a big part of my game. I never got my fitness back and I should never have tried to, to make a comeback and just, just concentrating on, on the coaching from the start. But I concentrated in coaching because coaching to me is, you, you, why do you coach? You coach because you can't play. You, the first thing you want to do, players want to play. And the, the next best thing to play in is coaching. It's a way to stay involved in the game and you can impart some of your knowledge to young players and it's a nice feeling being part of part of something football you feel a sense of belonging you're a club you're a coach or you're a player you're a committee if you achieve something as a club there's a sense of belonging there and it's something that's a, it's a, it's a great feeling when you, you know, so we I I came to Australia still wanting to do something in football so me and Mandy having the Australian birth certificate we 
decided to come out. I was thirty six years old at the time, and I still was still I was still ambitious. I, I felt as although I'd had a, a great experience as a player, I felt that um, there was a few a few things that wasn't ticked off, and a few things that I still hadn't achieved, and, and I wanted to try and do something in coaching. So I came to Australia, and I, and I, I came to Australia because I wanted to live in Australia, but I still was very want, much wanted. Football was still a massive part of my life, and I, and I thought I could coach. So um, I wouldn't say it was. It's not been all success. No, no way. There's been, but, but there's been some good times as well. I, I got a, a, my first year out here. We won on Wolves. We we won the Queensland Cup, um, and then the Charity Shield at the start of the next season at Perry Park. That was a, a great achievement. It was Wolves' first senior trophy in 77 years. And I've, I've got great affection for the, the Wolves club. Robbie Crane's the chairman now. He does a great job there. And I've got a, I've always had a great friendship with the people at Wyndham. We, we keep in touch uh, with some of my players for there for 25 years ago. I was playing golf with them three uh, months ago. And, and I've been down to a lot of functions. at Wyndham the 100 years centenary last year. And I had a few celebratory get-togethers and I, I was down and caught with a lot of old friends so Wyndham was a, a really uh, really helped me settle in Australia and sort of get myself established but from there I got a regional coach and director's job at the Sunshine Coast I then went away to the Solomon Islands as a national coach for three and a half years I then came back and was a state director of Queensland for three years um, then uh, Wyndham uh, sorry uh, Sunshine I left there and did a short stint in Papua New Guinea with the under 23 Olympic qualifying teams a short-term contract and then came back to the Sunshine Coast again and, and coached Sunshine Coast in the the first when the state league was sort of reborn and we, we won the, the, the league uh, and the grand final, which was it was a very happy time and enjoyable time uh, for us, for a great time for Sunshine Coast AFC. Um, so and then I've ended up doing this. So and it's been it's been a bit of a journey, but still great to be involved in football. Seeing kids kicking a ball like this we're seeing today, and talking to yourself about football, it's just I, I wonder what we're going to talk about. I was asking you what questions you're going to ask, but I think once you start talking about football, you you could talk could talk about football for hours because there's there's a lot of stories. There's there's loads and loads of stories, but it depends which tangent we go off at. It's incredible that we've barely touched on uh, your journey, and we've barely gone deeply into it and yet we've spent so much time talking about incredible insights into into the sport into your journey you did mention 10,000 young kids have come through your program both in Australia and New Zealand over the last 12 years you've played with some of the best players in the world you've played against some of the best clubs in the world you've had an incredible journey as a player and as a coach coaching internationally but now when you look out and you see a player playing and you've seen so many players come through your foundation what is it that you see and you like about a player a couple of things sometimes if I, if I, sometimes you get a young player with any coaching they're just very natural they're comfortable in the ball. They're very uh, uh, flexible, agile. They, they sort of they make it look easy without any coaching. You see some natural players, but I think if, if it's when you start to get to know players, they could be the best player out there. And if he if he's if he's not a nice person, and not just me, I know the the big clubs in the UK. If if, if their attitude isn't right, and they're up themselves uh, as a young boy. They've got no chance, in my opinion. If 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 they're, if they're up themselves at that age, and think they they know it all, then they've got no chance of learning. Clubs want players who've got ability, 
We've got nice balance, good first touch. They need to be able to be athletic. They need to be move, you know, agile, and they, they, they see things. They get their head. There's loads and loads of things that they make a player. And, and certain players, all players have got better strengths and different strengths and weaknesses. But once you get them, the thing more important than anything for me is that you need ability. Without ability, they can't do anything. There's no point in having ability if they haven't got attitude. Because if they've got a bad attitude and all the ability in the world, they will definitely won't go anywhere. But if they can have lesser ability and a great attitude, and if they work hard and they keep showing the right uh, signs to coaches and, and they're just a nice, a decent person and straightforward, uncomplicated, can can take uh, instructions and they can take criticism and, and they're just a, just a good a good, I think a lot to do with your parents. You know, if you if you if you've got a solid background for your mum and dad, and and you know what's right and wrong, I think I think that's as good a start as you can get. And I think it's what the player does from there. But I think coaches do pick a one big time if if they get a smart arse and thinks they know it all, and that switches coaches off immediately. So I think attitude is really obviously ability. You can't go anywhere without ability, but you need the attitude to match the ability to have any chance of going forward. That's, that's a great way to end this podcast. But before we end, I just want to affirm you, George. I I deal with people. I've been in politics. I've been in policing. I've been in prosecutions. I've been involved in sport. Uh, I've been involved in business. And you, you, you run a business, and it's a really – prosperous and and successful business both in what you've done in yourself but what you've also achieved in developing young people and it's obviously your passion but there are very few people that and it's uh, to me it's the ultimate compliment when you see people you see them doesn't matter whether they're a young kid on the pitch it's a coach or a parent you see people and you value them and I think that's probably the reason other than your talent other than your ability to coach it's actually your attitude and your willingness to see people that makes you such a success and the reason why so many young kids out here will light a fire in their soul and go on to be better people. That's, uh, I can only thank you, Stuart, for your, your kind words, but I think that comes into, uh, as I say, if I go back to parents, that's the way you're brought up and, and uh, things that your, your parents install in you as, as a young person. And uh, the thing is, whether you're a football player or a fisherman or or whatever you do in life, it, it doesn't uh, really matter, does it? At the end of the day, I've always been, and I've had coaches in the past that's sort of influenced me. I always remember them saying, uh, you know, you got a head, you got two arms and two legs. and You treat everyone the same. It doesn't matter if you're Trevor Brooking at the head of the English FA or you're uh, Joe Bloggs in the local pub. If you if you treat everyone the way you, you would want to be treated yourself, I, th- I think it's a... It's quite easy to get through life that way, I think. I think that's the way I would sum it up. But thanks for your compliment. I really, I really appreciate that. It's well earned and an incredible career in football, in both playing and coaching. And Australia is so lucky to have you. George Cowie, thank you for joining me on the FC podcast. Was it as scary as you thought it was going to be? Thanks, Stuart. It just caught me a wee bit with that compliment at the end. I kind of struggled a wee bit to answer that. Was a, you, just, you got me a wee bit sentimental in there. <laughs> you saved that one. I finished. He's off. <laughs> yes, that's right. Yeah. George Cowie is an absolute legend. I love speaking to him. I loved him sharing his views on football and life. He is passionate about football. He is passionate about life. 
He cares deeply about people and it was a pleasure to speak to him. I really enjoyed it. I hope you did too. My name is Stuart Taylor. This is the FC Podcast. Now go and change the world. Someone has to. Why not you?